I'd like to begin by asking Gloria to come here. I think she's more well-known here than I am, so please, Gloria, give her a microphone, would you? She has a book written about her, so everybody seems to know the horrible parts of me from that book. <laughs> but straight from the horse's mouth, Gloria, you're welcome. Would you greet the people? People of God, I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. That is how we greet in Nigeria. Yeah. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I want to tell you that I am very happy to be here again. It's so encouraging to see many people coming together to seek the face of the Lord and just to want to hear from the Lord. My prayer at this beginning is that the Lord will meet your needs in the name of Jesus. That is my prayer for this meeting. Amen. Thank you very much, Gloria. Now, you've ruined my retirement. I mean, that's straightforward. <laughs> but... <laughs> But could you tell us now, you have just come from home, how many children are you looking after? <laughs> At the moment, the Lord has brought our way 270 children. Now, when you're married to Gloria, you have no choice. <laughs> How many have you adopted or forced me to adopt? <laughs> <laughs> the children that bear um, our name, the Kwashi children, are 52 now. And we live with them at home. They are our children by the grace of God. So you see, I had to stop... <laughs> I had to stop Gloria extending the bishop's court because it is an official residence. Um, and and we, we are now, we bought lands where the school is and hopefully when, we, when I retire into that direction, we can build hostel. How many do you hope to accommodate in the retired <laughs> retirement home area? Now, we don't want to know that. I will put an embargo on that. <laughs> but, but could you tell us how your day is in the house and in the family every day? Well, early in the morning, when we wake up around six, the children are growing now. Sometimes before I get out, they're already singing. Their voices are so beautiful. So that is part of my encouragement too. In the morning, we pray with the children and those that will confess their sins will confess. And then we, well, anyway, we wake up before that six for prayer. By five, we're already getting the breakfast ready. And then six, we go for prayers. After the prayers, we eat breakfast, you know, and then we get ready to take the children to school. Because we've started a school for them. Since we're not able to pay in other schools their school fees, we decided to do our school and some people have offered to uh, help with the teaching of the, uh, of the children. Well, after school, we come back and 
life continues. I really don't know how to, but it's just, it's life. Just that is how we live. Well, I, I am forced to that pattern of life. So I, I also just come into the life. Thank you very much, Gloria, for giving us a bit of your life. Thank you very much. God bless. <laughs> Well, the other thing that uh, I, I would like to let you know is also that my house is a zoo. <laughs> Gloria has brought donkeys into the house, horses into the house, pigs, geese, ostriches, pigeons, chickens. I'm waiting for snakes. <laughs> By that time, I'll run and dogs and rabbits. So the, the compound is large and every child in the house has something to look after in the family. But I must tell you that it is an exciting life living with these children who ordinarily would have been hopeless in life. Um, six of them are HIV and AIDS positive. We've lived with them for 10 years. Nobody has been reinfected. Nobody has, they've not suffered. You will not know unless you are told. But they live a normal life. Two of them are physically and mentally challenged. And we've lived with them also the last six years. They've grown. John is about eight years. Stephen is about nine. And we're, we're just living a normal life. It's exciting. And I thank God that it is not in the UK because the laws would have come to on us. <laughs> we can live the life of God unconditionally without any law. <laughs> Hallelujah. Marrying Gloria has been a huge education of my life. As a young bachelor priest, I had two cats and a dog, Cracker. And we lived together in the small two rooms that I had in the vicarage in St. Andrew's Church in Zaria. Then I married Gloria, who didn't love the cats, nor the dog. <laughs> so the first thing she did was, Ben, you've got to take these cats and dogs out. You build a cage for them outside and let them live outside. And this was a human discussion that was going on. Apparently, the dogs and cats heard. <laughs> they knew that the new madame of the house didn't love them. So I, I, I prepared Cracker's food and I took it outside for him to eat. And he looked at me and walked past his food outside. And for the next three months that Gloria would provide food for my dog, he wouldn't eat unless I gave him because he knew she didn't love him. And the two cats, one of them was so angry on Sunday morning, he went out through the window because Gloria couldn't have him, 
and he went across the road and accidentally another car hit him and he died. She felt very bad about it. But she said, Ben, but you know, I cannot stand cats. She was pregnant at this point and she just couldn't stand them. And my friends, the story of love is like that. You know, when somebody doesn't love you, he doesn't have to say it. You can feel it. It's, it's just around in the air. And when you're not so sure of somebody's love, you wonder, how will I be received here? One of the things we say to our children, and every time they come to the house, the first thing we say to them is, children, nobody, nobody will take you out of our house. Nobody, no law, no man, nobody. You are our children. And nobody will send you out of our home. Nobody. If you run away, we will run after you. So you're here for real. But you know, the thing is, the children wait to see it, whether it is true or not. And they read the atmosphere around the home to see whether we are real or we're not. The televisions show us movies and they say, you say, I love you, I love you. You know, it's that kind of just sentences that have no concreteness in them. But the love of God is everywhere, my friends. The love of God is everywhere. You can feel the love of God. You can, you can see it. Listen, my friends, nobody wrote an application to God to be born where you're born or in the family that you're born. Nobody did. And yet, little Miriam could thank God in her condition. Jesus loves me, she says. My friend, the late bishop of Sudan, Seme Solomona, for 17 years they wandered in the wilderness and we had met in Lambeth 98. And I said, brother, where are you now? He said, brother, Jesus loves us. We're halfway between Sudan and Uganda. After Lambeth, we met in Uganda, and he said, now we are in northern Uganda. By this time, he had a stroke and was on wheelchair. And he showed me pictures of his Sudanese people, his parishioners jumping with a cross and singing the love of Jesus. People feel the love of Jesus in their distress, in their suffering, everywhere, everywhere. The, the, the creation speaks of the love of Jesus. The love of God. Unconditional love of God. It is we who create the conditions. We're the ones who create the conditions. So, oh, you know, these are black people, you know, you don't talk to them. Oh, these are Muslims, you don't approach them. We create conditions. The other day we were in a train. We, had, we were coming from Reading, going to Surrey. 
and we're sitting with Gloria and a young white boy with his hair spiking to the sky and earrings and he was in black jacket and black trousers and, and tattooed all over and Gloria said, Ben, I'm going to talk about Jesus to this boy and I said, Gloria, you don't do that in England. <laughs> and she said, Ben, your civilization is cheating you. I said, no, I'm warning you because you might get what you don't bargain for. And she said, no, Ben, I, I think this boy is in trouble. I will talk to him. And before I would say Jack Robinson, she had moved and went there. <laughs> and she sat with this boy. And I don't know what they were talking, but after about 30 minutes, this boy was heads bowed and was praying. And Jesus led him to Christ. And Gloria led him to Christ. <laughs> they exchanged numbers and phones. And, and everything, and he was so grateful. And I said, Gloria, how did you do it? We create the bounds. And we've allowed civilization to dictate for us how to love people. Oh, you know, we in England, we don't talk to anybody. You know, we in the UK, we just, you know, so just let them, hi, hi, break through it and tell them Jesus loves them. Ask them questions. Well, I'll get into the scripture now, and I'd like to look at Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, and we'll look at the unconditional love of God through us. Evangelism. Verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Oh, gracious God, we pray that you will lift your words and you will give to each one of us here to feed on. And you will minister to us from heaven that each heart here present will respond to your love. And in ways that only you can do, we will respond so wonderfully well that others may know that you love them through us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I has Paul writing to the Romans. He'd not been there, so he is telling them ahead what he is looking forward to, to see them, to share the good news with them, to encourage them and they to encourage him, but also to declare to them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, people have heard about this gospel, but their interpretation of it seems to come from some of the stories they have heard, and those who have come from Jewish backgrounds introduce laws into it, and, and it's got mixed up. And Paul is trying to straighten out to say that 
the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is about the love of God. It's about God loving the whole world so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world as the sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. No one need perish anymore. No one should decide that he's going to hell or he's going to damnation or wherever that may be, wherever God is not. And that it is real that God has come to us in human form. And friends, please understand that it was not the creation of people that Jesus is God. The first disciples of Jesus were Jews. And they know from the book of Moses that it was impossible for any man to call another man God. Doing that was blasphemy. And we've been warned we cannot worship man, nor can we worship the things created, nor anything in the heavens, nor in the earth. But when Thomas saw Jesus, he acclaimed, my Lord and my God. And it was the disciples themselves who were Jews who knew that what they had seen was beyond any human creation. Their encounter with Jesus was an encounter with God. And Jesus actually lived. People knew his home. People knew where he went to. People knew the people he healed. These were real. He walked on water. He performed miracles. And the disciples knew that it is impossible for any man to do this without God. And the climax of it was in order that God would show his love to mankind, Jesus took the sin of the whole world upon himself and was nailed to the cross. And he died. Joseph of Arimathea took his body to the tomb and buried him. And the whole world went quiet because the powers that be at that time thought they had done their worst. This Jesus who's doing miracles is silenced and silenced permanently. The devil and the forces of evil have decided to silence him permanently. But on the third day, on the third day, on the third day, the tomb couldn't hold him anymore. Jesus walked out. He rose again. Hallelujah. Jesus rose. He defeated the powers of hell, the powers of death. The chains and shackles that hold sinners together, Jesus cut them loose and set the prisoners free. Amen.
That is the good news. That is the good news. That is why people like me can come here and share with you the truth that once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was lost, my mother knew it, my father knew it, my family knew it, that I was lost. But Jesus set me free, and now I'm found. Praise God. Only Jesus can do that. Because my mother did everything she could. She couldn't change me. My father's blood pressure went up. He couldn't change me. Nobody could. Only Jesus. Why? Because he's paid the price for my sin and set me free. Nobody should perish anymore. God doesn't condemn anyone. No one is condemned because it's been paid. The price is paid. We're now free. The only thing that's left for any one of us to do is to respond to that forgiveness. To respond to the sacrifice paid on the cross. To respond to the fact that now the, the, the gate of hell is now permanently open. You're free to get out. And to respond by coming out and receiving the love of Jesus with your hands. And thank him. Lord, I thank you. There's no love greater than that. And my friends, you know, like I do, if you look inside in your heart, you know who you are. You know what you're thinking. And God knows what you're thinking. And God knows who you are. But the good news is this, that God is saying, my dear son, my daughter, don't condemn yourself. I love you. I love you so much. I cannot leave you in your mess. I want you out of it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. If Jews believe it, they get saved. If Gentiles believe it, they get saved. Whoever believes it gets saved. And they are set free forevermore. Hallelujah. That is the gospel. But you see, you've got to believe it. You've got to receive it. And I thank God that we come through the weather to gather here. And I pray that our gathering be not in vain. But that we gather to truly receive this love of God contained in the gospel. And make it ours. Make the gospel yours. Receive it for yourself. Your father cannot receive it for you, nor can your mother. But you can receive it for yourself. And say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. For even me. Thank you for loving me so much, so much to die for me. And forgive me my sins. And you say, Jesus, I love you. And you receive Jesus for yourself. 
Now Paul says that this same gospel is the power of God. It's a dynamite of God. So when you receive the love of God, you're receiving a, let me coin my own English, a dynamitous love. Now you'll find some dictionary and look for that word. <laughs> you're receiving a, a dynamic love. A love that would not leave you as you are. That love, that gospel will also transform your life from inside. From inside you begin to feel, why, why, what am I doing here? I don't belong to this kind of life. And you begin to change your ways. The night I received Jesus Christ, I had just left my room. An hour ago, when I received Christ and went back to my room, something told me my room is smelly. I didn't know that. I've always lived in that room. I've always lived carelessly. I come from the generation of James Brown, if you know what that means. So posters was all over the place, cigarette tops, bottles of beer. The room was stinking, and I was comfortable before then until I received Jesus Christ. I realized, no, things have to change. The, the love of Jesus is, 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 is dynamite. It won't let you remain where you are, in hell, in sin, in darkness. No, light begins to shine and you begin to get, you, you begin to feel, no, I don't belong here anymore. Something's got to change. Some things need to change. And truly, a few days later on, my friends came out to call me for a night out. And, 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 and I said to them, I won't be able to make it. They said, come on, you know, all our classmates are there. I said, I'm sorry, I won't be able to make it. And they said, have you also been infected by this Jehovah's Witness stuff? And I said, it's not Jehovah's Witness. Well, I wasn't strong enough to tell them what had happened, but I knew what had happened inside of me. And I was telling them, look, friends, you know, please, I won't be able a week later, they came again. I said, no, I think I have a Bible study. I'm attending. You really mean it? Ben, you, Bible studies? And I was a ringleader. I used to be the group captain. Now the group is going to disintegrate. Their captain is God for Jesus. And they couldn't believe it. Some would come and peep in the church and see whether I truly was there, and I was. And suddenly, I, sh I was shaven I was looking tidy, tucking in, and looking neat. <laughs> I began to look like a human being again. I knew it because when I look at the mirror, I, I, I said, Lord, I thank you. And what was most fascinating was the money that I used to squander. And could you believe that I, I spent so much money to induce myself with alcohol that turn around to hurt me every morning I woke up with hangovers and you needed more beer to clear it up? What a waste. Suddenly in two weeks I was feeling normal. I didn't have to spend money anymore. Suddenly I had so much money with me and I could scream, thank you Jesus for saving me, truly saving me. I am saved. Something inside of me changing me 
effortlessly without my own effort. But I began to know what was right and what was wrong. What was more, the brother Dominic who was helping me with the Bible, reading through the Bible, became a joy. It was no longer a drudgery. It was no longer difficult. And even if I had difficult passages, he helped me to understand them well. Oh, the gospel is dynamite. I tell you, friends, if you have children growing up like me, parents, the only cure to their problems is the gospel, the love of God. Don't give up. My mother, before she died, she looked at me and she told Gloria, she said, Benji. <laughs> Say, just look at Benji now. Look at Benji. Jesus loves me. But it doesn't stop there. He also changes me. And friends, Jesus doesn't stop there. Like I said, it's dynamite. Paul says it's dynamite. It's the righteousness of God transforming you, changing you, and guiding you, and leading you to righteousness without your own push, but he from within, through the work of the Holy Spirit, guiding you. And because it is that dynamite, you can't keep it. No, you can't keep it. One of the things that the gospel has done for me is that the power of the gospel will not allow me to keep quiet. So if you call me anywhere, I will not only share my testimony, but I'll tell you how much God loves you and me because it is the power of God. I can't keep it. I can't be quiet. It is impossible for you to receive the gospel and for the gospel to be actively working in your life, in your mind, in your soul and spirit for you to be quiet. It's impossible, my friends. It's impossible. No matter how European you are, you will talk. <laughs> oh, yes, my friends, you will talk. And in case you don't believe me, it was Europeans like you 120 years ago who could not keep it and came to my home country. And you want to know the story? I'm a great-grandchild, sixth generation of the king of the kingdom of Angus land. My great-grandfather was the king of the kingdom. A 32-year-old young English boy Reverend Fox and his brother, Dr. Fox. They spoke to the king about Jesus Christ. And the king, on listening to these two, there were six young people, on listening to them, he told his kingdom that he would no longer worship the gods of our people. And he was prepared to abdicate his throne and accept to be a humble servant of Jesus Christ. My friends, 
This happened in history, 1907, and he did. He left his throne with all his wives and children and embraced Jesus Christ from the mouth of young Europeans. When you love Jesus and Jesus loves you and you know the gospel in your hand, you cannot keep it. Listen, friends, throw away your culture. For goodness sake, it is not gospel. No culture is gospel. Take it from me. No culture is gospel. Western cultures, as good as it is, it's not gospel. Yes, we must be decent. They learned it from the Bible. It was Peter who said we must be courteous. Peter says, treat the women like queens. It's not Western civilization. They got it from the Bible. Go and read what Wesley wrote about Christian manners. That was how Western civilization developed. The challenge is from Scripture. Let us go back to the Scripture. The gospel helps us to be who God wants us to be. But we have taken the culture and made it look like the gospel and is denying us and creating conditions and barriers against showing the love of God. Any culture, and I don't care which culture, that does not come under the scrutiny of the gospel will not stand a chance. The love of God is beyond any culture, my friends. Share the gospel with your children. In seminary, we were taught about some research that children should not be taught about Jesus because it is indoctrination. And the psychologists have said all kinds of things about it. My friends, whatever they say, they are not God. It's not the Bible. The love of God, if aspirin is so good for you, and your child is suffering from little mild fever, would you not serve him aspirin? If God's love is so real and so true, changing me, and it has changed me, will I not also serve my children? Will I not share it at home? Share the gospel. Let the environment of your home be the place of the love of God where children feel secure in the love of God. Where visitors, guests, and everybody else feel secure within the boundaries of the love of God. And they know that love of God is in existence in that house. And you share the gospel freely and easily. And families that share the gospel affect other families. And let me tell you, friends, the people across the fence, we know each other. We know each other. My neighbor once, we met at a filling station. And he says, he says, Bishop, I like the singing in your house every morning and every night. Is, are you having a party? <laughs> because people see, they know the singing from your house. Yes, it is springing up to heaven and bringing joy to those who sing, but it speaks also to the neighbors. My neighbor once said to me that, could he take some manure, please, from my house? I said, how do you know? He said, oh, Bishop, I know you have cows. And we have a place, we have 
carve them in and the, the cow dongs he wants for his flowers so we give them and people come to our house to ask for the cow dongs for flowers and they say how do you manage with such a large family people see people see the love of God they feel it they know it when they see it my friends get free by the gospel and live fully as God wants you to live so that you can share it. Imprisoning yourself and calling yourself a Christian is not complete. You're putting conditions for yourself unnecessarily. And Paul would not let any condition. So he tells the Romans, Jews and Gentiles, this is the gospel. Let me end with the story of this two out of the six that came to my village, young missionaries. Dr. Fox was a gynecologist and he, his brother, Reverend Fox, had asked him to come because medical health was a need. He'd been before and went back. So on his way now, coming permanently to set up what would have been the first hospital in northern Nigeria. 18 miles to my village, he fell sick and died. His older brother, Reverend Fox, also shortly fell ill and was being taken to a mission station up north around Zaria or Kano on the way he died too. And CMS had to report to the parents of the death of their two children. And they did. The parents were grieved that two of their children, same father and mother, had died in the mission field. So they went out and sold a portion of their land and brought the proceeds to CMS and pleaded with CMS that the cause for which our children died might not stop. For the Lord of the missions knows why he took our children. May the ministry of the gospel continue. And they gave the proceeds to CMS. These two white young men were not Nigerians. They were not Africans. They had a comfortable job. One was teaching in Ridley Hall and the other was a medical practitioner in Oxford. And they left the shores of England to go to Africa at a time when there was no custom, no immigrations, no visa, no police, no government, only to die on the soil of Africa in Plateau, in Joss area. Were they mad? What could have pushed them to do that? They had no relatives. They didn't know anybody. 
They felt a sense of the love of God and they felt that some people must hear this gospel, must receive and know the love of God. And my great-grandfather received the love of God and his entire kingdom with him. These people were not crazy, my friends. I'm standing before you as one in debt. I will pay the debt. The love of God is real. It's true. And it must be shared. Bow your heads and close your eyes and let us pray. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. If the Lord is speaking an assurance to your heart concerning this love, as we pray, you do well to respond tonight. God loves you. And his love is strong and powerful. Tonight I know that you feel that love. You know he loves you. Respond to Jesus tonight. I know God how we praise you. That your word is true. And how we ask that you will confirm this in the work of your Holy Spirit in hearts here tonight. To draw men and women, young and old, children and all, to this true love of God. And receiving it, may we share it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.